Hello, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. The message you're about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. We're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Now let's join the service already in progress with Pastor West. He is an awesome, 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 awesome God. Praise God. Amen. Well, you can be seated if you can. Good morning and welcome. Glad that you're here this morning. Good to be with each and every one of you. Let our children go to children's church and we say, may the teachers win. Praise the Lord. Invite those who are watching my broadcast of Facebook. Glad to have you here, part of our service. Pray that uh, you'll be encouraged today. You know, it's the Word. It's not people. God uses people, but it's the Word that changes our life. Amen. Amen. God never points us to people. You know, people, things, or resources, but God is the source, right? And uh got a story I want to share with you this morning. I want to do a little pre-marriage counseling. It's not our subject for today, but I think this may help someone along the way. It's kind of hard to cover every subject all the time. This, so this, I'm going to put this under preventive maintenance for your for marriage. This is about a man. Uh, he said he walked into a dentist's office and asked how much it costs to extract wisdom teeth. The dentist said it would be $80. The man said, that's a ridiculous amount. The man says, is there anything... Is there any way cheaper? Yeah, well, the dentist says, if you don't use an anesthetic, I can knock it down to 60. He said, that's, that's too expensive. Well, okay, the dentist said, if I save on anesthesia and simply rip the teeth out with a pair of pliers, I could get away with charging you 20. No, moans the man, that's still too much. Hmm, the dentist said, scratching his head. He said, if I let one of my students do it for experience, I suppose I could charge you just for $10. The man says, marvelous. He said, "Uh, book my wife for next Tuesday. (laughs) You can learn from that. (laughs) Amen. They never found that man after that Tuesday that I heard. Psalms 91 and you don't have to turn there, it's not our text, just want to read this part of it. But <clears throat> You know, Psalm 78, uh, I, I'm sorry, not 91, but Psalm 78, breaking into just a portion of this chapter, talks about Israel in the wilderness, supposed to be on the way to the promised land, supposed to be coming to that place of increase, coming into the plan that God had for them. God has a plan, doesn't he, for each one of our lives? But that doesn't mean people experience the plan. It's because God, we, we know Jeremiah 29, 11 says the plans of the Lord. And it's a good plan. But it doesn't mean that people accept the plan or walk with God and agree with Him. Well, you have to do that. So I, I'm going to come in here, but this is the uh, Passion Translation. And verse 34 says He cared for the, uh, well, 35. Verse 35 says they remembered the God, the Mighty One, he remembered they was the, uh, he was their strong protector, the hero God who would come to their rescue. But their repentance lasted only as long as they were in danger. 
They lied through their teeth to the true God of covenant. So quickly they wandered away from his promises, following God with their words, but not following him with their hearts. They worship, their worship was only flattery, but amazingly God is so full of compassion, he still forgave them. He covered over their sins with his love, refusing to destroy them all. Over and over, God held back his anger, restraining wrath to show them mercy. Uh, he knew they were made from mere dust, frail, fragile, and short-lived, here today, gone tomorrow. How many times they rebelled in their desert days and how they grieved him with their grumblings. Again and again, they limited God, preventing him from blessing them. They limited God. They prevented him from blessing them. Continually, they turned back from him and they provoked the Holy One of Israel. They forgot his great love and how he'd taken him by the hand. Well, <clears throat> that's how it happens. And it's not God's best for you. It certainly isn't God's intention. Um, today, we're going uh, to do part two. Um, not going to go back and rehearse uh, one. Don't have time for that, but you can go back and uh, get it on SoundCloud or, or watch last week on Facebook. We talked about removing boundaries, if you want to give it a title, or removing limitations. So this will be number two. And uh, I, I want to start off at least the same place that we did, Romans chapter 12, if you will, uh, is where we'll begin. Read it from a couple of different translations. Um, verse 1 and 2, King James said, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He said, this is your reasonable service. So God's not asking for something unreasonable. He said, this is reasonable. Amen. Verse 2, do not or be not, be not conformed. Doesn't sound like a, doesn't sound like a suggestion, does it? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. It seems as if what he's saying here, he wants us to know the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God, but you can't prove it out. In other words, it's impossible to prove the good will of God, the perfect, acceptable will of God, unless we are first transformed by what? Being saved, going to church, being a good person, giving, giving blood twice a year. No. The way that we do this is what? Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, it's not God trying to think like us. Hmm. You know, Isaiah said, he said, my, my ways and your ways are not the same. I've always said this way, a lot of ways to say it. That's not a, that's not something that God put up and says, you, you can't be like me. I, I believe he's just making a distinction saying, mankind's not thinking like I am. I, I believe it's an invitation to come on in to the club. Right? Because here he tells us to do it. You're not locked out from it. He tells you to think like me. Amen. How many know God's always right? So it'd be good to think like God. Now, Hebrews 11, 1, if you will. 
We looked at this last week. We're going to do uh, two parts. And uh, to this today, and we're going to minister again for the first few minutes on how important hope is. How many of it's good to have hope? Have you met someone who said they had no hope? Well, you ever felt hopeless before? I think we all have at one time or another, haven't we? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith. I'm going to pause there. Now faith. So faith is when? Now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not yet seen. Seen where? Seen in the realm of the senses. It doesn't say it didn't exist. It said you just don't see it. But how many know if it's the promise of God, it exists? Have you ever seen heaven or hell? Do they exist? Perhaps you've never seen an angel. How many believe angels exist? You ever seen God? Do you believe he exists? Has everyone ever seen uh, Hawaii? Personally, a few of us have. How many, know, how many would like to see it? It exists. Amen. And if you're going to live there, you're going to need a lot of money to exist also. <laughs> uh, they tell me when we was out there, the average, um, most, most people live two or three families in a house. Um, so I asked the driver one time, I said, uh, what is a house? I said, that, that house looks like about the house I have uh, back where I live in Alabama. And he says, that house is somewhere between 550 to 650. And I thought, I wish I could take my house over there, sell it, and come back. <laughs> and uh, wouldn't that be cool? But how many know now faith is the substance of the thing that you're hoping for? So let's talk about hope for a minute. These are just kind of one statements, but they're, they're very basic, but they're very important. Bible hope. Now, we're talking about Bible hope. There's a difference between hope that the world has and Bible hope. Because sometimes, you know, hope gets a bad rap. Say, so, well, you know, hope, you know, hope can't do anything. It's, it's faith. Well, Bible hope is faith in seed form. I was eating some chairs last night. I know there was something, uh, something that every, every chair that I ate had in common. On the inside of that, every cherry was a seed. I don't know if you can buy a seedless cherry. I don't think you can, but uh, every one I had would have a seed in it. That seed is what produced the fruit, right? So he says. So the Bible says that faith, we can say it first comes in seed form. Bible hope comes from the promise of God's word to you. Bible hope not founded is not founded on earthly, natural reasons or intellect. Now, the New Testament Greek word for hope is elpis, A-L-E-P-E-S. I looked up several ways to pronounce it from people who were Greek uh, scholars, and all three of them pronounced it different ways. So I just chose the one I wanted. And uh, but E-L-P-I-S, elpis. And it's defined this, hope is defined, uh, means to anticipate. Do you have anticipation this morning? Amen. It says to anticipate usually with pleasure. It says if you have Bible hope, then you are to have expectation and you're supposed to have confidence. Lastly, it said Bible hope 
from the Greek word, it means a joyful, confident expectation. A joyful, confident expectation. Is, is hope important? So Bible hope, the true Bible hope carries an expectation that the outcome is actually going to come to pass. So that's much more powerful than just a wish or a desire when we just say, I'm a hoping and a praying. I'm a hoping this will turn out okay. That's, that's just a worldly hope that I hope something, I hope this happens. I, I, I hope the finances come in. I, I hope to get better. Well, based on what? So Bible hope has hope, but it's based on, it's backed up. The evidence of it is the Word of God. And that Word, you see, gives us the hope to make it strong. So faith is the substance. I mean, faith has substance. Faith is not uh, mystical, you know, ooey-gooey, somewhere out in the ethereal realm where we can't, ooh, you know, where is it at? Faith has substance. God did not make the world out of nothing. There were substance that God made it out of. True? I mean, if you can see a mountain, touch a mountain, climb a mountain, that's tangible. You can touch it. So God made something that you can touch out of something that could be touched, but you couldn't see it. Amen. It's not a mirage, it's a mountain. You ever, have you ever climbed a, I don't know if any of you go mountain climbing, but if you ever climbed a mountain, uh, if you climb Mount Everest, you'll know you climbed something. It won't say, well, it was just a figment of my imagination. No, it won't be a figment. So God made the world that we see from the material of faith. Faith is the substance, but it's the substance of what is hoped for. So if you're here and you don't have hope, you have faith has nothing to put substance in. So we have to have hope and we have to have faith. You could say they're partners. Amen. So faith is real and it's tangible. It has substance. Uh, Hope is the precursor to faith. We'll say it that way. And it leads the way and opens the door for faith to operate. And uh, once again, the Hebrew meaning of the word hope is a confident expectation. It's the thing that you long for. It's the thing that you desire. Expectation is the belief that that which I hope for shall happen. And expectation is the breeding ground for all miracles. So you need to have hope. You need to have a joyful, confident expectation. Hopes are the start of the walk of faith. You don't have hope, you're not walking in faith. Hope is the raw material. Hope is the blueprint which builds the house. Without hope first, once again, faith has nothing to give substance to. I'm trying to say it so many ways we're going to have to get one of them. Hope is the initial connection between what is and what our faith will bring to pass. It's the connection. Hope is so vitally important that the Apostle Paul said, he said, there are three things that are eternal. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, don't turn there, but it says faith. He said, there's three things that are eternal, eternal. Faith, hope, and love. Then he said, the greatest of these is love. Because love is God's motivation for why he does everything. Faith is not just simply what God does. Faith is who God 
is. God is love, right? So if you've ever been discouraged or you've ever been depressed, then we need to change our, our focus. We need to change our gaze. Um, let's go to Numbers chapter 21. I'll talk about this, changing our focus and changing our gaze. Numbers 21. We'll talk about Israel once again. God's wanting to bring them in to increase. He's wanting them to be able to remove the boundaries. He wants them to remove the limitations. He wants them. He wants to bring them into an inheritance. But he has a problem. The old saying is God got his people out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. What the mentality. Some people could spend years in prison and be released, but they're still in their mind. They're still institutionalized. They're, they're still there. Actually, and I think most of you know this, people, I don't know what the years, uh, how many years it is. I hadn't looked at those statistics, but if you've been in prison for so many years, most people on purpose go back because they don't know how to function in society. And they're just used to that, those surroundings. They're used to having a meal and somewhere to sleep. And so they'll purposely go commit a crime to get picked pick back up. And that's, that's really a sad thing, isn't it? And that's what God had a problem here with. He had people who'd been enslaved for 400 years, but they did not know how to be free. And they would not follow God's instructions. Although they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and they were constantly complaining. So Numbers 21, um, verse 5 says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, and there's not any water, and our soul loweth the light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you, Moses. Pray unto the Lord that he'll take away the serpents, from us, and Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a servant, uh, a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now the Amplified says in, uh, in verse um, 8 and 9, the Amplified says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent of bronze, set it on the pole. Everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Verse 9, Amplified said, And Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked at the serpent of bronze, notice how he looked, attentively, expectantly, with a steady, in absorbent gaze, he would live. Not just looked, but how did he look? How did he focus? He did it with the great attention, and he did it with the expectation. But he had to keep his eyes on the pole. A type of Christ to come on the cross, right? Now, you, you, you have to realize they're, they're there. There's snakes everywhere. And so he's put the serpent on the pole. So that means while you're looking at the pole... With snakes around you, and one's crawling up your leg, 
you can't look down at your leg. When you feel it coming over your shoulder, <laughs> you can't, you know, uh, people say, I guess I would have just died. Well, <clears throat> the, the, we've jokingly said, you know, um, they complained all the time. So we don't want to complain. Another life lesson. The gripers get the vipers. Anyway, just moving right along. So let's don't, let's don't be the gripers. Amen. Um, now, so this is how important hope is. So three things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So uh, <clears throat> we want to look away from the natural circumstances. So God told him, you're going to have to look away from this. And you're going to have to look at the serpent on the pole. And everyone that did, they lived. So it's important what we look at and who we're listening to, right? Jesus, I was talking about Jesus, and we won't go there, but Hebrews chapter 12 is looking unto Jesus, who is the author and he's the finisher of your faith. Looking unto Jesus. And uh, when we do that, we're looking at his unchanging promises. When we do that, hope and, hope and faith will just rise up. And, uh, and then we'll be strong by just looking at the promises of God with a, with a joyful, confident expectation. And this is a message of hope, although people think it's so simple, it's very profound, and, it needs to be, and all of us need to be sharing it with people. We get the little thing sometimes we show about hope dealers. We want to be hope dealers, not, not dope dealers. Amen. And we want people that, that what we're dealing, we want them to get addicted to. Hmm? It's okay to get addicted to hope, okay? Now let's, let's, let's change um, gears a little bit. We talked about last week, we was in the book of Romans also. We talked about the two Adams. First Adam being, of course, Adam in the garden and Eve. And how many know Jesus is the second Adam? Or he's called the last Adam. So we talked about sins of man, the original sin or individual sins that gets people in trouble. And we found out that it wasn't, it wasn't our original sins that put us in trouble, that we came under the penalty of Adam's sin. Hmm? And we looked at several instances where people got in trouble, but it was because not of what they did originally, but it was because they were born into this world under with a sin nature, and they were perishing because they were under that nature, but it was Adam's transgression. So Hebrews, or Romans, excuse me, chapter 5 said, one man's disobedience kind of sold us all out, but another man's obedience brought us into perfect righteousness. In other words, I just like to say it this way. Adam got us in a world of mess, and Jesus got us out of that world. Amen. Now, <clears throat> apply this however you need to apply it to. Whatever you're believing God for in 2020 and uh, whatever your vision is, as Brother Matt was talking about, you need the right information to go there. It's not just like I'm believing for a better year. That's not a goal. People say, well, I'm believing to minister to more people. That's, that, that's not a goal. I'm believing to blanket the city with the gospel. That's, see, that's not, that's not vision. All those are goals and they're good, but that's not vision. Vision is specific. We're going to open up 20 accounts this year. We're going to add so-and-so, uh, you know, we're going to, if it's in health, in other words, I'm going to 
Not, not I'm just going to lose weight. Say, in other words, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by this, by this month, and this is my plan. That's vision. Not just, not, not just like, I hope to make more money and do better and have a better vacation. Well, that's just, that's just, that's a goal, but it's not, it's not vision. The vision has to be plain. It has to have, uh, it has to be specific. It needs to have some dates assigned to it. And it needs an action plan. And, and like John Maxwell say to the, in his book, Today Matters, it would be part of your daily routine. Okay. So now let's get back to Adam and Eve. I'm going to give you a different word today because in the book of Romans, and I'm not going to change the Bible, but you'll, you'll see that this will very much apply. You'll see the word uh, sin nature, and you'll, you'll see the word flesh used a whole lot in the book of Romans and other places. But I'm going, to, I'm going to exchange that word today to make it even simpler. I've asked the Lord years ago when I teach I said, would you give me the most simplest way of teaching things that even a child can receive? Child receive it. It's very important that we all be able to hear. And sometimes just a change of a word. Sometimes just reading something in a different translation causes the light to come on. So we're not looking to use words that we all have to go home and look up. Um, I mean, Mr. Aretha Hagen years ago, uh, uh, Brother Hagen's wife, uh, she said that we was at a little country church. And uh, Brother Hagin said, "We, you know, there was just a few people out there in the country church." And she's told him, she said, <clears throat> "Well, he was he was getting his sermon ready for the week, and he was in the dictionary looking up all kind of new words he could use, and and uh, you know, make it sound a little bit more intelligent." And, <clears throat> and his wife told him, Miss Rita, she says, "Well, Kenneth, she says, won't be long. We're gonna have to go to two services." He he said, two services. We got plenty of room." Why would we have to go two services? Well, she said, if you keep preaching the way that you're preaching, you want to preach the first one, and then you want to come back preaching the second one to tell them what you tell them on the first one. <laughs> you want to explain it in the second service. So we want to make it. We want to make it simple. Amen. Is that okay, y'all? So Adam and Eve, I'm gonna say it this way: instead of instead of using flesh, instead of using sin nature. I'm going to use the two word physical senses. Say it with me. Physical senses. <clears throat> Does everybody here have physical senses? Would you have them if you're Baptist or Methodist, Pres- Presbyterian, Catholic, right? Heathen. And if you don't know you have them, you have them. Amen. So physical senses. And so what happened in the garden was the serpent came and his strategy was to get to their physical senses. They were in a physical world, but his attack can never be spiritual. It has to be physical. Those are really simple things, but if you forget them, you'll lose this thing. Satan will never attack you spiritually because he is... he is not even in your class. He has nothing to fight you with. Spiritually speaking, if you're, if you're spiritually minded, he's already lost. The quicker that we know this, your battles will be going away quickly. As long as he can keep you in the flesh, thinking in sin nature, if he can keep you in the sense realm, 
He's gonna, he's going to lick you every day of your life. Oh, you'll have some victories here and there. You'll have some good days now and then. But I'm talking about God wants us to know who we are until we prove out mastery. See, we don't want to be fair at something, pretty good at something. We're, we're singing the song more than conquerors. That's mastery. Amen. I don't want to get in a fight, but if I have to get in a fight, I don't want to almost win. It's like getting in a boxing match and saying, I almost didn't get knocked out. What does that mean? <laughs> you got knocked out, right? But I almost didn't. Well, so Satan, what he, what, what he did, the serpent, he drew, uh, he drew Eve's attention away from what God had said, right? God had already given a command not to eat of that tree. So what did he do? He didn't want to talk to her about that. He didn't want to talk about why. He just drew her attention to look at this tree. Remember he told her, he says, look how good it is. Look at the fruit of it. So her eyes, I'm going to say it this way, her eyes, her physical senses, which involved her emotions, was now focusing on the fruit. Is it simple enough? He says, look at the fruit. And she took the bait. She took the bait. Now remember, they were before this, they were spirit-controlled in a physical world. But they were spirit-controlled in one with God. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, real quickly uh, Genesis 3, 6-7 in the King James. And, you, and we can see the problem here. It says that when the woman Eve, she saw that the tree was good for food. Stop. Was the tree good for food? According to God, is, is, is this a tree good for food? Did God say this is, will be a, a tree that's really good for food? Where did she get that information? That the tree was good for food? Her eyes, her brain. We use the word brain and physical senses a lot today. She went to her brain now that she's been drawn in by the enemy. And it says, now you see, everything in the Bible is not true. They say, what did you say? I said, I said everything in the Bible is not true. It's truly recorded. But it's not all true. It was the tree good to be eaten? Should you eat from this tree? So that's an untrue statement. But it's truly recorded. You can't say, well, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I believe every word is true. Well, you're, you're sunk. Right? So this is Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, we see a problem here. And, and then she said, and then she thought that it was pleasant to the what? Pleasant to the eyes. Pleasant to her eyes. And she said, this is a tree to be desired. Oh, really? That's what God told her? He said, you should desire that tree. He, he told her, if you ever take, if you ever take of it, partake of it, you're going to what? Die. So did God tell her this is a tree to be desired? 
He, he said, this tree, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And the next thing she said, she noticed it would, be, it would make you wise. Where is she getting her information? And before this, she walked in a physical world, but in a spiritual controlled spirit. She took of the fruit, she ate, she gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her, never stopping her. And he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. Thing is, they were already naked. But they couldn't see it because they weren't seeing things in a physical manner. They were seeing, they're seeing like God sees in the spirit. Amen. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read this in a couple of different translations. Romans chapter 8. We doing all right? This will help you. If you need healing, this will help you. If you need help in your finances, this will help you. If you're planning on breathing tomorrow, this will help you. Don't worry about the Super Bowl. I probably shouldn't tell you, but the Lord's already told me who's going to win. He told me the one with the most points is going to win today. So there it is. I, he showed me. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 5. King Jimmy says, For they that are after the f- flesh, oh, let me, no, let me change the word. They that are after the flesh, or they that are after what? Physical things. Can I say it that way? That'd be okay, you Dennis. Can I, can I use that word, physical things? They that are after physical things do mind the things of physical things. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Can you see the contrast? Now you can be a Christian, he says, you can be a Christian, and you could be minding physical things. Business is down. We don't have enough money. The kids are this, and grandkids are that, and marriage is this, and, and I can't this, and I can't that. Where... Where did you get that information from? Is that what God said? See, it's no different than being at the tree. I see the money's down. I see I'm losing business. I see I can't afford to do it. It looks like my children. Where's your source of information? For they that are walking or they that are after the flesh or walking according to physical things, it's because they're minding the physical things or the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, Romans 8, and I want to read verses 5 through 9 in the Passion Translation. It says, for those who are motivated by the flesh, I'm going to change it, but those who are motivated by the physical things are pursuing what benefits themselves. If you're benefiting yourself, you're not walking in the Spirit. It's not the commandment of love. Every sin known to mankind is rooted in selfishness and self-centeredness. Everyone who went to prison who is guilty, the root, the root of sin... It's selfishness. Any sin. Why'd you rob the bank? 
Why did you do this or you do that? You wanted this, so it wasn't yours. You wanted to pay someone back. You wanted this. It was all about self-gratification. He said, but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. Notice a reality. Verse 6, for the mindset of the physical world brings what? Hmm. Now, you, now, now the Lord knows he put you in the physical world. How many know this is not heaven? <laughs> now, we can go to another country and get back here and like, man, you kiss the ground after you get off the plane. But how many know this is... Is, is anyone here who thinks Jemison is heaven? Believe me, it's not. Amen. You say, well, I'm not from Jemison. And where you live to, how to leave. This is not heaven. So the mindset of the physical world is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit is what? Life and peace. Now we're going to verse 9, all the way to 9. In fact, the mindset focused on the physical world will fight God's plan. I don't know how to make it any simpler than that. So if you're going to live in a physical world, you're going to live according to your brain, you're going to live according to your emotions, you're going to be a Godfighter. You're fighting God's plan and you are refusing to submit to His direction. It can't please God. For no matter how hard they try, God will find no pleasure with those who are controlled by their physical world mindset. Boy, this is helping us. Verse 9. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by your physical senses, but by the Spirit. You're not dominated by your emotions, although you have them. Although you sense things, although you feel things, although you have things happening in your life or your family, but they are not dominating you. They're not controlling you. You're not making wrong decisions based on what's happening. Hmm? Abraham, who had no hope against all hope, believed in the promise. He would even stagger at the promise of God. Man, 100 years old, hadn't had a child. She's been barren all of her life, not even staggering. Plenty of physical evidence that says this is not going to happen. Adam said, Adam, you, you can't have a child. Why, you're 100, she's 90 years old. He said, ah, God said we would. Why, wow, those kids, they ain't never going to. Ah, he's, he's, he's promised me household salvation. Why, you'll never have enough money to retire on. Ah, I'm not working to this world's economy. Amen. Matter of fact, I don't even need retirement money. You know, you know why? I ain't retiring. I'm going from here to there. And I'd like it better if we all went same time. Well, wouldn't that be cool to be in the generation that goes in the rapture? Man, that'd be cool. How many of y'all want to go in the rapture? Not because you're afraid of death, 
But it would be cool, right? I mean, we, we would be the only generation that ever went, you know, of course, in a rapture. I mean, there's other, there's other raptures you might want to say, but I mean, the first and main event, Jesus doesn't touch the ground. We go to meet him in there. And I mean, I'm telling you, Star Wars ain't got nothing compared to that. <laughs> and on the way up, all this has changed. All them little boo-boos and all that kind of stuff. And all, all gone. Praise the Lord. Spirit bodies. Walking through all spirit bodies. Hallelujah. Amen. Just, just that. He said, he said, and I, he said I, I, I'm going to take you from this earth and you're going to meet me in the air before you can twinkle your eye. Pow. Wow. Just think about all the people, you know, those who's in the grave and those who's lost in the ocean and sailors out and the shark ate them and they're scattered. Dear Lord, part of their bodies in the Pacific and maybe in the Atlantic and all. And God's going to take every molecule from everywhere and bring all that together and put them in a spirit body. Before you can twinkle one eye. You say, how's he going to do that? I don't know. That's why he's God and I'm not. Hallelujah. That's just mind-boggling when you think about it. Well, yeah, but do you think he could help with the light bill? No, 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 that's no, that's asking a lot there. He just creates universes. He light bills is really out there. <clears throat> so this is the question we're having to ask ourselves. Am I living according to the flesh? Am I living according to my physical senses? Am I living according to my emotions? What's upsetting me today? What's been upsetting me this week? What did God say about that? God says your physical senses and your emotions can lead you or will lead you to death. Now, uh, Romans 8, 5 through 9 in the Passion. We didn't read that yet, did we? It says, those who are motivated by the flesh. Yeah, we did. We did. We read all of it. Okay, so we're going to move on. Amen. So that's so this this awareness of these things has to do with our physical eyes. Can you see that? So she took Adam and Eve. They took of the fruit. Their eyes were opened, and the carnal mind took over. Amen. Has nothing to do with what kind of fruit it was. I ain't ever eaten none, none of that. Well, it has nothing to do with the fruit. It was a, it was a problem of disobedience. Now, let me ask you a question. What exactly is the carnal mind? Once again, the scriptures calls it the flesh or the sinful nature. But if you read Romans 8, 6 and 7, it says to be carnally minded is death. Is death. So when did sin take place? If we use Adam and Eve as an example, when did sin take place? It's when they made a choice to use the brain or the physical senses. He says, look at the tree. But God, no, look at the tree. See how good it is? She said, it is good. It's pleasant. Oh, it'll make me wise. Everything God said it wouldn't be. She's now decided with her brain and her physical emotions and feelings She's decided to live in a physical world, physically or carnally. 
and it brought her immediate death. Hmm. So, the brain is like the control center of the physical senses. The brain is. You could say this, our brain is at enmity against God. Your brain is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So what did, what did Satan do? He used their brain. He used their physical senses against them. Same way he uses your body against you. If you have physical issues, you have physical pain, he's using your body as a weapon against you to attack your physical senses, right? And then he gets you to think on thoughts of this is this or it could be that or so-and-so had that. And before we know it, we're on WebMD and Google around the world. And before that, you know, we're, we're planning our funeral by 3 o'clock. Hmm? What he did is, I, I, I put it down this way, he threw a fiery dart, which is a suggestion, or he threw a lie at him. Eve's focus was then drawn to what her physical senses told her. Until they were happy, until this happened, they were living in a physical world, but they were spiritually minded. So it wasn't until they chose to make a decision, until they chose to make a decision based on their physical senses that they became carnally minded and death entered the world for the first time. Now, let me give you some good news. You're not a brain. How many glad you have one? It's most of you. Some of you are not sure. But, but we're not a brain. We are a spirit, right? We're spirit. We have soul. We have body. Brain's part of that. The, 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 the brain is, is, a, is an organ just like your kidneys or your liver or your lungs or whatever. Um, the brain is. But we know that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we walk by faith and not by our senses or we walk by faith and not by the senses of the physical world or the flesh or the sin nature. How are we going to walk? By faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but hope gets its hope from the, war, the word of God, not the information of this world. Amen. This ought to be simple enough for anybody to get it. Amen. Did you know that your brain constantly lies to you? Did you know that? Don't raise your hand, but if you've ever raised kids and teenagers and they're out and they're gone and they're supposed to be back at some time and they're not, then you're wondering where this is and where that is, especially if you've ever had any issue with them. How many, how, how many of you ever notice, so you know people, maybe you know someone, it's never happened to y'all, but, but uh, your brain begins to think that could have had a wreck. That could be in a ditch. That could be doing all this, all of this stuff. I mean, I, I, I saw that so much when, uh, when my son was in the Marines and I just got to our turn TV off because, you know, it'd come on the news in the morning and, you know, back then it was said, uh, 13 Marines killed yesterday at so and so city. And the thing is, I knew he was in that city, knew he was in that city. 
And your first reaction is, let me get my phone. I need to check. Oh, can't call. Oh, can't call. Can't text. He's a Marine. He's in that city. 13 dead. You know what your brain does? It tells you, uh, you could be looking for a black sedan come up the driveway in a few more days. Now, did I believe that? No. But, but see, was, was that even my thoughts? No. It's Satan's thoughts. He put that into my thinking. Well, like Brother Hagin said, you, you, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head. But Dad Gillen, you ain't got to let him say, well, here, just go ahead and build your nest. <laughs> he don't have to make a permanent home in your hair, does he? So I had to cast those thoughts down because they weren't from God. And they came on that week. Uh, I mean, and that news, it was on the news all week. And, you know, we, you can't call. You can't check. You can't whatever. You can't call the USM Marine Corps and say, I want to check on my boy. I mean, it doesn't work that way. I can check on my boy. <laughs> they don't check on you, boy. We was in church that Sunday, and uh, I could tell something happened to Michelle during praise and worship. And I looked over, and she had a tear come down, and she told me after church, because we hadn't heard anything, and she says, well, well, we already know he's safe. And she said, during praise and worship, she said, the Holy Spirit said to me so, so plain, so clear, she said, you'll never have to give your son in death because I gave mine. Amen. So they could come on the next morning and said, everybody in the Marine Corps got killed but one, and we know who'd be alive. Amen. Now, we prayed for all of them, you understand, but uh, we, we chose to believe the Word, even though the attacks was coming against the mind, the brain. Your brain will lie to you. Caroline Leaf, you know who she is? Wrote a lot, many books about the brain. And she said, science tells us that nearly... This is so good. Science tells that nearly all diseases are caused by brain releasing too much of a certain chemical into the blood cells and are causing something in the body to not be correct. Did you hear what I said? The brain, nearly all, nearly all diseases are caused by the brain releasing too much of a certain chemical into your blood cells, thereby causing something in your body to not be correct, but originated in the brain. So she says, in other words, like we, we see the source being outside of the body, such as a germ. Yet it's the brain's reaction to the germ that causes the disorder. Example, when someone, uh, she said, cuts themselves. If you see them cut themselves, you feel the pain. Some of you have some of these things in your life. I, I, I have this thing I've had to deal with before. When I'm watching a small kid run way too fast on concrete, and uh, that feeling of, of you know, anyone ever fell down on con concrete as a kid in shorts? Uh, well, I did it as a teenager, 15 years old. My brother and I was going down the highway racing. We had a 10-speed bike and with a speedometer on it, and we were going between 40 and 45 miles an hour downhill. And at that time, we had these fiberglass poles with a flag on it, and he was ahead of me uh, just by a little bit, but we had something was going down. Airport Road in Clanton, he was going down that hill, and he was going so fast, I was right behind him, his fiberglass pole went all the way over and got into my spokes. And I went somewhere between, they said, 70 to 80 yards rolling over and over and over and over. 
And if you was going to invest in the stock market, you should have got gauze bandages that week because they had to wrap me up like a mummy. I couldn't find any place on me that didn't hurt. I was the nastiest, bloodiest, cut up thing that you ever saw in your life. So sometimes when I'm watching the kids run on concrete, I get this real ugh, feeling in my stomach, just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> well, that, because that takes me back to that day. And I remember thinking what I was thinking the whole time I was rolling. And then there was a man behind me, and boy, he got out and he called us everything but, but uh, children of God. This is how people get killed and all this. And you're all out here doing all this kind of stuff. And I could have ran over you and all that. And, and, and I'm over bleeding to death. And he's over just cursing me what could have happened to him and how he could have got saved. And I'm thinking, call an ambulance. You know, he's like, I could have been saved. Well, <clears throat> so uh, she said, you can watch someone get cut and you could feel pain in that area. Now, now she said, now you're not cut. But it went to the brain, and the, and the brain released a, a chemical that went to the finger or wherever you saw a cut, and then you feel that pain. Can you see that? She said they've done experiments with people who take like a, a, a prosthetic arm or leg, and then someone hit it with a hammer. Boom! And she said, and you'll reach for your leg because it'll hurt right there. She said, in other words, you understand, like if you mash your finger with a hammer, anyone ever done that? You mash your finger, but that's not where you're actually feeling the pain. It starts, or not in the finger where you hit, it starts in the brain. The brain is the control center of the physical world in the physical body. Think on those things that are good and pure and lovely and of a good report. There'd be any virtue, there'd be any praise. Think on those things. Why? Because that is what's controlling your life. Amen. Now, uh, this is the true story. I don't know what state it was done in. don't know what year it was done in. Um, but there were 10 people, and I, and I don't know the exact surgery it had, but there was 10 people who needed knee surgery. Now, uh, all I know was it wasn't a, a, a knee replacement but they had a problem with the bone where they had to go in there and they had to scrape or scope and they had to do some corrective surgery. And all 10 people had to have the surgery. And uh, they wanted to do a survey, so they talked to the families of all 10 of them and told them what they wanted to do and said, uh, it'd be up to you. We're doing the research. We're doing a study on this. And they said, uh, all 10 of you need the same surgery. True story. And so, the, um, so they only talked to the family members, not the patient. Eight of them never, never had the surgery, but they thought they had the surgery. Two of them actually had the, the surgery, and what they did, they had to go back in uh, four incisions, two on this side, two on the other side, and uh, then they stitched it up when they got through. Two of them actually had the surgery. The other eight, they, all they did was make the incisions and then when they woke everybody up, they said, your surgery went very well. You have, you, you're going to recover very quickly. Uh, should have no problems from this. After four weeks, the eight that didn't have the surgery, who thought they had the surgery, they were all as physically well, except for one, as the two who had the surgery. 
three weeks after that, they all had the same x-ray and everybody's knee was perfectly well. Because they thought in their brain that they had had the surgery, that the two actually had the surgery, and their brain says, we got to get down here and fix that because we've had surgery. Because the patient didn't know it. Their brain said, we had the surgery. They said, it turned out fine. And then the x-ray changed. Your brain can lie to you. Oh, man. So in closing, so what happened in the garden was this. The physical brain, the senses were open and they took control. Here's the good news. In Christ, all your diseases are defeated. Let me try that again. In Christ, all your diseases are defeated. Because he bore them in his body. Told you this last week from the garden, not, not just the whipping post, because the word by his stripes, you were healed, remember stripe? The word stripe is not just the stripe that you think on the whipping post. The word stripe in the, in the Hebrew is the word wound or bruise. When Jesus prayed the night before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed with such intensity, it was so excruciating that he began to bleed. Remember that? In other words, his capillaries burst and he began to bleed. That is a wound. Then he went to the whipping post and received many stripes. Then he went to the cross. So the good news is in Christ, all our diseases are defeated. He bore them in his body from the garden to the whipping post to Calvary. Then I can say it this way. He died with all those diseases, all those pains, and he took them to hell and dropped them off. Amen. And then he was resurrected and left them there. Then Romans 8, 11 says, The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave, from hell, the same identical spirit, he said, is right now dwelling in your mortal being in your mortal spirit, and, and, and can be dispersed, released throughout your body. Same spirit who raised Christ from hell. Now, if you're in hell, there ain't no way out. But the same spirit that raised Christ from hell, the same spirit is living in your mortal being. and is able and willing and wanting to quicken, quicken or make alive your mortal body. Yay, yay, yay. So our empowerment by grace is Christ, who is the second or last Adam, and it's His life now. All healing it really is in any form and any matter. When you're praying for someone, all you're really doing is releasing life. It's not the prayer so much. It's not what you say. You're simply just releasing life. You actually, if you understand who you are in Christ, you could actually put your hands on someone knowing who you are and never say a word and get the same result. You say, no, you have to speak the word. No, just go with me sometime and I'll prove you wrong. I do speak the word and I do use words to pray, but you lay hands on the sick. What did what, the Great Commission say? Lay hands on the sick and know what? He said, I'm not saying anything. Why? Because you are a healing transmitter. What's this virus going around in China? Corona virus. If you had the coronavirus and you <laughs> sneezed and coughed in your hands and you placed that on someone else's body, could they get it? They could, couldn't they? Do they need to say, 
<coughs> Do they need to speak words and place hands on you? So why is that so powerful? But I have to say a bunch of stuff. I'm just trying to get you to think on a higher level. You are a healing transmitter. You, you are a carrier of the life of God. Hmm? You should be infecting people every day. And Satan does not have an antidote or a virus to stop it. Hallelujah. So finish it this way. Our body is what links us to the physical world, true? And the brain is part of the body. If you separate your brain from your body, both of them will die right now. True? But your spirit and your soul continues to live on. The brain, if separated from the body, both die. But if you die, your spirit and your soul lives on. That's true. And that's because you don't have a spirit. You are a spirit. Amen. So we don't live according to the flesh or the sin nature. We live according to what? We live according to the spirit. We, we walk in the spirit, which is life and peace. Walking in the flesh, walking in sin nature, walking in the carnality of the mind is enmity against God and brings death every time. Death is just simply this. Anything that's not of God. De- see, a, a headache is death in an embryonic stage. Depression is death. Depression is death. Anything that is not the life of God is death. Amen. Amen. And of course, there's physical death, which of course is death. But I'm just about anything that's not of God, out of his life, what Jesus paid for is, is, is death. So he said, if you're going to, if you're going to live according to your senses, if you're going to live in the physical world physically and not spiritually, which doesn't mean, well, I go to church. That is not what I preach today. I'm not talking about you being in church. I'm talking about you being in Christ. I'm talking about putting on the mind of Christ. The scripture said, let this mind be in you. Amen. Well, God bless you. We're going to have a big, big night Wednesday night. If you can come back tonight at 530. Sorry, I already gave it away. Who's going to win? But uh, we'll have a big time. Amen. God bless you.